Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the monsters and races of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folkloric and mythological counterparts. Today, as I said in the last episode, we are going into this deeps and we are doing some very popular sea monsters. I don't know about you, I thought it would be a very uh, informational pack that we would have to really trim down. However, looking through D&D, uh, especially as we were focusing on Sea Serpents, Leviathan, and the Kraken, there just was not a lot there. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a bit of a slippery and scaly kind of topic today, but yeah. There's uh, uh, not a lot in specifically the Sea Serpent. I mean, if you, you know, not counting the Leviathan himself, of course. But, you know, uh, 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 there's definitely uh, a few good talking points out there today, you know, from from the teeny tiny to the gargantuan to the mundane to the to the outright legendary creatures. You know, there's definitely some fun talking points out there. Awesome. That's what we like. Informational filled episodes rather than a lot of babbling on my end. So with I that. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> so with that, uh, we will begin with the D&D side with Sean. Okay, so, uh, well, we're going to cover a couple of uh, interesting creatures here, but uh, first we're, we'll, we'll stop on a little note uh, about serpents. Uh, so let's talk about serpents. Not necessarily sea serpents, but sometimes, in some case, there are some sea snakes out there. But uh, now, in general, snakes and D&D go hand in hand, basically because they make great allies as well as adversaries. Monster manuals of all editions have dozens of stop of stat blocks specifically for snakes for this reason. Yeah. Uh, from the tiniest of vipers to the large, super aggressive man-eating boa constrictors, uh, a wide variety of, of snakes and a wide variety of ter terrains. Some are pets and companions, while others are wild and awaiting a party of unwary adventurers in, in a wide variety of environments and terrains. And, and though there are uh, many the, they're not really the focus today i, I did kind of grab a, at a, a couple of cool uh a serpentine serpent like uh individuals you know uh our, our species rather uh, uh in the D, D realms a couple cool serpents roaming the realms of D, D that are very similar yet uh, have a distinct feature or two i kind of found interesting so uh, um, you know, uh, as there was a lot to fill the particular like sea serpent area, uh, um, let's just talk about a couple uh, in the, going in the opposite direction. So first, let's just talk about the flying snake. Uh, put forth uh, outright this uh, brightly colored winged serpent that can be found in, in remote jungles and and certain tribes people or even a particular cult or two have been known to domesticate these tiny beasts and in those societies the, the flying snake is quite useful uh, taking place of courier pigeons and and messenger birds alike delivering scrolls and small parcels wrapped in their coils so I thought that was kind of cool, kind of interesting type of, you know, unique magical serpent. And, uh, you know, the other serpent of note worth mentioning is very similar to the first, uh, just, just on a grander, less domesticatable scale. 
and uh, we'll be talking uh, talking about the uh, coatls. Um, usually found on more celestial planes, this serpent is quite the beastie. Uh, this creature appears to be like a large serpent with brilliant rainbow-colored wings, speaking many languages, uh, but able to speak with any nearby telepathically. It is rumored that these creatures are uh, not capable of telling a lie. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, known uh, not only for their intelligence and good alignment, but also its beauty uh, and its vast magical powers and unwavering virtue are the stuff of legends. But uh, these sort of holy flying rainbow serpents uh, are ancient and can live for ages without sustenance or even air. So, you know, it is totally possible to encounter a coatl in the deep, you know, dark trenches of, you know, the various planes and things. However, it is unlikely as they are, you know, kind of these celestial holy beings. I imagine they're very colorful or radiate light of some kind. Uh, but uh, these creatures are often uh, watching over ancient powers or places, uh, perhaps awaiting the fulfillment of a prophecy, uh, sometimes taking an interest in, in heirs of a particular bloodline. You know, this is a, an interesting creature to be sure. And uh, given its need for no air or sustenance, could technically be found, you know, deep within the waters of, of the varying realms. So, um, but so now let's get away from snakes and serpents and whatnot. I think uh, uh, you, your serpents are heading in a different direction than mine were. Uh, so now let's get away from that and uh, get into uh, something much, much bigger. The Kraken. Uh, coming a, a long way through the additions. Once thought of only as like a giant aggressive squid, uh, possibly the king of its own domain in its own right, just as being the large and aggressive squid. But uh, to now having, you know, an ancient and otherworldly intelligence alongside dark goals and ambitions, uh, aggressive, cruel, highly intelligent. These underwater behemoths usually rule the entire undersea regions in case, you know, in some cases, the older, more powerful krakens have uh, made themselves virtual gods, uh, having many cults and minions dedicated to them and, and the spreading of their influence uh these these legendary beasts aren't just limited to the plains of water nor the deep dark depths of the ocean they are amphibious and have been known to climb up rivers and water inlets destroying all in their path to get to a fertile hunting ground or nesting grounds located in a more inland body of water you know a deep lake or river so these like prim primeval forces kind of just ready to topple civilization like sandcastles when they can, uh, uh, capable of greatly affecting the weather at will, usually uh, accompanied by fierce storms. Its devastating attacks have been known to destroy and disrupt trade and communication for entire cities at, uh, at once. Uh, truly another beastie that is the fantasy equivalent of a large-scale natural disaster, uh, even if you're not on the sea via ship or, or in a coastal community so with that being said finally we're gonna get to the leviathan the big the big bad sea beastie and uh, now similarly to the kraken and uh another typical big bad evil in guy encounter the tarask 
The Leviathan is an excellent high-level enemy because once again, you have a massive creature that outputs damage at such a rate that it has become the fantasy equivalent of a localized natural disaster. This uh, gargantuan elemental, elemental creature is a serpent that looks to be made from water, fog, and, and storm clouds, and uh, not only an immediate threat to any waterbound vessels, great and small, sinking them easily, but this thing is so massive and aggressive, it's been known to wash away entire coastal communities and ports. So, uh, it being a siege monster, and particularly good at destroying items, objects, and structures, uh, makes it hard to contain. Uh, but uh, and as it wasn't uh, if that wasn't enough, this creature in its water form is capable of moving through a space as narrow as one inch wide without squeezing. So this is a gargantuan-sized creature, mind you. So almost impossible to contain and difficult to fight mechanically. You can see what would make this uh, Leviathan and its rare ability to summon, control, and basically weaponize tidal waves. You know, this is a difficult encounter, and you know it's you know one of the reasons why it's you know. The Leviathan is so often tossed into the role of the uh, big bad evil guy. So, um, aside from maybe the uh, flying snake version of some serpents, uh, uh, did anything uh, I was talking about come close to your IRL uh, lore? <laughs> uh, yes, and that, for the most part, none of them have a definitive form. So, <laughs> however you describe them is probably accurate. <laughs> Right, that's pretty weird to think about, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, and yeah, that's kind of all I got on our topics today. Pretty excited to see what uh, uh, the uh, in real life counterparts to to some of this are. So uh, yeah, the uh, mic is yours. All right, so uh, I did focus more with sea serpents uh, in terms of serpents, just because a lot more options to choose from. Uh, the quotal definitely sounded like the Aztec god Quasicodal, so I wanted to on my end uh, dedicate more time to that because we would do that with Zeus and Odin so uh, I'm not going to touch it this time but yeah I think that's kind of where they got the inspiration from as it was called the Feathered Serpent uh an interesting thing, we have to go through a little bit of history. Now, we're not going to discuss this till probably our one-year anniversary episode, or 100th, if we make it that far, because it will be hours long. But when I say dragon, what do you picture? Uh, fire breath. <laughs> Fire breath, probably lizard-like, at least two legs if you're putting the wings on the forearms. Yes, I know that's technically a wyvern. Don't at me for that. Or four legs with wings on its back, correct? Uh, typically, yeah. Nailed it on the head. So that is what we consider dragons today. However, throughout much of history, dragons were basically snakes. That is what we label now as a dragon, uh, what the Indo-Europeans and such, it's a giant 
serpent. And the reason, and that's very interesting because that's why we have so many serpent tales. Now, you take a giant snake, and especially in cultures that are near bodies of water, you put it out in the ocean. It's very easy to see that, oh, it's a sea dragon or a sea serpent. And that's why we get so many tales, especially of giant creatures. And so when you think about the older tales, uh, you definitely have to put them more into a snake-like look rather than a dragon from Skyrim or Dragonheart or the thousand other uh, modern depictions of a dragon. So first I'm going to uh, speak about the serpents, the sea serpents. And when I say that, I mean just non-Leviathan, basically. Uh, so I wanted to emphasize with that because I'm going to describe some creatures that you're going to think, no, that's not, that's supposed to be a dragon. The biggest one being Tiamat. Again, we're not going to focus too much on her here because from a D&D side, that is definitely a huge episode. <laughs> but when they describe her in ancient Mesopotamian mythology, it was as a sea serpent. And so she is part of a trope that actually seemed to come from the Indo-Europeans. Uh, they were a culture that lived within the Slavic side uh, region, a mountainous region between Russia and what we consider Eastern Europe. And they moved out. And as they moved, they spread. They went up into Europe and especially into Germany where their tales followed them there. And then that, of course, went over to Scandinavia and into the Viking sagas uh, with their chief god being Odin, whereas the German version was Woden and uh, brought him with. Go down into Mesopotamia where you get Marduk fighting Tiamat. Again, another storm god fighting a dragon or a serpent you go down into greece you have zeus fighting typhon storm god versus serpent back up into scandinavia you have thor and jorgmunder so who is jorgmunder he is the world eater uh in norse mythology loki had a wife who he then did what gods do he had a second family uh this one with a giantess with with whom he had three children uh Fenrir, the giant wolf who ends up eating odin in the uh during ragnarok jorgmunder which was his middle child who kills thor during ragnarok only to be killed by thor at the exact same time but again Following that trope, Storm God versus Sea Serpent, or Serpent in general. And the youngest being Hell, with whom uh, the Realm of Helm is named after. Personification, right side, completely beautiful maiden. Left side, a rotting corpse. Emphasis of life and death. Uh, Jorgminder was thrown into the waters while he's still young, where he continued to grow until it is said he can circle the entire earth and bite his own tail. And when he lets go of his tail, Ragnarok has begun. 
uh, as I said, within the Norse mythology, uh, during Ragnarok, Thor is battling Jorgmundur, and from the venom from Jorgmundur, he ends up biting Thor, uh, giving him the poison. However, Thor slays him, takes nine steps, and falls down dead. That is the last meeting of those two, although there is another tale where Thor is out fishing with a giant using an ox head uh, to try and catch whales and stuff when Jorgmundur ends up biting it and he is strong and Thor is strong enough to reel him up and is trying to bring him close to kill him then but the giant he is with ends up cutting the line uh, Jorgmundur goes down and they run away after all he has to be around uh, there's also a tale where uh, Yuri Loki, I want to say his name is, uh, is having a competition and tells Thor to lift up his cat. Thor can't do it, barely gets one leg off and the whole ground shakes. Well, it turns out this was an illusion and Thor was actually picking up Jorgmunder from the bottom of the depths. And the fact he even lifted a paw is just miraculous and terrifying you can then go over to egypt where you have apep or apethesis apophis so apep or apophis and this was a another considered giant serpent however it did not exist in the land of the living instead it was in the underworld in the land of the dead and it represented pure and utter chaos and destruction. Uh, in their mythos, whenever the day ended, Ra died every day. And he was put in a sarcophagi, put on a barge as he traveled through the underworld. And every night, Apep would try to eat Ra uh, and kill him outright on this voyage. On the days he did not succeed, Ra came out the other end, and the sun came up. However, if Apep ever did kill Ra, then he would come out, devour the sun, and the world would end. It was kind of their uh, Revelation, Ragnarok, Apocalypse story. Is Apep the giant sea serpent. So with this, I mean, we definitely see that Serpents being chaos, evil, and destruction was very prevalent in uh, ancient mythologies. And then you just have general serpents. Uh, some people have tried claiming that what people mistook for sea serpents were plesiosaurs and all sorts of other dinosaurs. I think it's just them taking a snake and putting it in water and making it big. I mean, it's not that hard to do, in all honesty. However, you cannot discuss giant sea serpents without discussing the Leviathan, which is the Abrahamic religion's sea serpent. Uh, it is found in the Old Testament, uh, especially in the book of Isaiah where it says in Isaiah 27, 1, In that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. 
So there again, you see them mentioning Leviathan as a serpent, however, also a dragon within the ocean in that same text. It also says that God will slay the Leviathan and feed it to his peoples after the apocalypse. One thing of interest, and I've actually recently heard this, uh, haven't done too much research, but it definitely feels like a reasonable theory, is that, as I discussed earlier, the Indo-European moving down, well, they also moved into Mesopotamia, which you got that Marduk and Tiamat uh, battle. However, there's a good chance that that same tale would have flowed over into uh, Phoenicia, where it's just where you get the Canaanites, and Yahweh could have been a local city-state god. Quite possibly a storm god of the storms, although that ended up becoming Baal. But for some culture there, especially in Judea, could have been a god named Yahweh battling the Leviathan. It, it, it fits that same tale, that same pattern found throughout all other Indo-European uh, ancestors or descendants. Most people don't like it because that insinuates that Hebrew and stuff, Judaism may have started off as a polytheistic and then became monotheistic, but there is evidence of cultures doing that, and it even tried to happen in Egypt, although it failed there. Could have succeeded, but again, that's a whole other topic. Uh, so who was Leviathan? Leviathan is the king of the sea, a giant serpent-like creature that goes through the oceans and in the end of days will uh, battle the behemoth on land, or that's why they got separated if they ever did meet, uh, destroy the world. But in the end, God's going to kill them both and feed them to the people that survived the apocalypse. Another note of Leviathan is that it's not necessarily a serpent in every case. Uh, it was also considered possibly a whale, uh, one that the Book of Job was set after, which would make more sense of a Leviathan eating Job and uh, him living in his stomach rather than a whale. But it is considered that the Leviathan may have been a whale creature versus a snake uh any questions yet <laughs> uh not uh really i kind of like i i'm i'm listening and i'm thinking about this like uh leviathan type of creature and i'm thinking like you know it was kind of vague uh and uh on a lot of the descriptors uh in what i could find for D D, and i wonder if that was like on purpose you know i was expecting some sort of like you know um the vikings blame you know super bad windstorms on the leviathan or something you know that's that's the direction i thought they were going to take it you know yeah well the one thing about the leviathan is it did not become a official source material to what monsters of the multiverse which is not that old in terms of the gameplay so I don't think they did too much when they thought of it. Just, oh, we people know this name and threw it in. 
Yeah, that was the and, only source material, like official source material I could find. I found a lot of like interesting, like fan made stuff, some, uh, you know, <laughs> homebrewed like stat blocks and things, but, you know, uh, not official content anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm glad they put it in, but I'm still shocked they haven't put a behemoth, although that might be next on the list. But yeah, people know of Leviathan because much like Ziz and the behemoth, it is a Judaic monster. Uh, it's only relevance in Christianity is in the book of Revelations where it gets slaughtered and as well as the fact the Old Testament is attached, but it's not as big in Christianity as it is in Judaism, where it definitely had that more prevalent uh, outlook. The last... Oh. Yes, sir. Um, I was going to mention uh, that uh, you talked a bit about some of the, of the Egyptian gods and even some of the North Norse gods, and nobody got raped or murdered. So it's just like the Roman and Greek gods or what? Like, <laughs> Oh, no, there's plenty of that in the other two religions, just thankfully not with snakes. Although... Uh, the Jorgmander is the result of sex, just it was consensual. So, yay, Loki. <laughs> oh, I guess. I mean, that's the first God's consensual sex story I've heard, I think. <laughs> well, just as a quick tangent, uh, so Odin has a eight-legged horse, and I want to say its name is Slefnir. And this horse is a child of Loki. Now, when I say that, unlike Fenrir, Jorgmander, and Hel, Loki is not the father. Loki is the mother. He changed himself into a horse to distract a horse that was helping a giant complete a test that they didn't want him to complete. So this male horse went with Loki and had did the deed to have a child. That's weird to, uh, for Odin to ride his grandson, like a mount, but I mean, whatever. (laughs) Well, Loki is only Odin's child in the Marvel universe. In Norse mythology, he was actually a brother. Well, not blood brother, but blood brother. Uh, He was from the giant realm and Odin and him became fast allies and each other's bests. And, all that before they had a falling out. So it'd be more like his nephew that he calls nephew, but not really his nephew. Like a step-nephew? Weird. (laughs) Well, speaking of uh, Norse mythology and being weird, that brings us to the Kraken. Uh, Kraken is very famous primarily from Clash of the Titans. With the very popular phrase, release the Kraken. However, what the Kraken was takes different forms. The most common being a giant octopus. Uh, That's the look he has in something like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. When people describe a Kraken, it's going to be that giant octopus. And we know that there are giant colossal squids that can get really big. Uh, nothing saying they've ever pulled down a ship, but if a squid could get that big, 
there's nothing guaranteeing an octopus when it get that big. However, that is another one of those more modern ideas of what the Kraken looks like. Instead, when it was first described, uh, the Kraken, K-R-A-K-E, uh, it was by an Italian writer. And what he described was a massive fish, which had either many horns or was many arms. Uh, and that's why people think, well, if it was going to be based on something more realistic, it's probably a octopus. However, all it was was like a whale with many tentacles or something. And it's been described a couple of times, and it's always massive, just drowning ships and, uh, you know, being a terror on the sea. Uh, the Kraken itself is up around uh, Scandinavian nations and Iceland, Greenland, and Norway, and all that fun stuff. But he's another one of those multiple descriptors. And an interesting note is that there's also a creature called the Luska in the Bahamas, which is described as a giant octopus or a giant cuttlefish, or half-shark, half-octopus. Apparently, somebody at the Sci-Fi Channel watches and learns from mythology. Because there's a movie called, what, Sharktopus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Japan also has a giant octopus creature called Karakamui. And their story is actually really interesting because it didn't start off as a giant octopus. Instead, it was a giant spider. And it ravaged the land. It was a minor kami, and it would ravage the land. Whenever it walked, it would destroy towns and villages until the Shinto sea god invited him into the water where he would be away from people out from underfoot and once it came into the waters it became a giant octopus so the idea of a giant octopus is literally worldwide uh i know just about three examples but still that's an amazing evolution Yeah, and you know, even in D and D, it kind of took a step forward. You know, uh, uh, the more uh, older editions have it just kind of like a basic, large octopus, squid-like creature, and then you know, the farther it progresses, the more, the more dark and mysterious and otherworldly intelligence you see kind of uh, show its face. You know, yep. there is one more giant octopus. Uh, and this comes from New Zealand in the Maori uh, mythology. And this is called the Te Weke a Matarangi. Or something like that. Holy crap, that was a really long name. <laughs> and so, as I was saying, I mean, it's found over in Japan. It's found down in New Zealand, in Oceania. It's found in the Gulf 
coast with the Bahamas. It's found up in Scandinavia. Uh, I do think if you follow the idea of a story traveling along with the people, the Maori, I believe it is, in New Zealand, got there by way of the Philippines. And I think from the Philippines, from Central Asia, where you would also have Japan. So that's another one of those could have been a tale long, long ago in the very early stages of uh, civilizations as an oral tale. And as the people spread out, they took it and crafted it on their own. Or they're just the type to see an octopus and go, wow, what if that was big? especially for peoples who spend their lives traveling the ocean. They are definitely going to have a lot more sea creature and monster types than somebody in a landlocked nation. So how can you take mythology such as these and play with them? Well, as I said, a serpent, a dragon is basically a serpent and much older mythologies so find a dragon stat block get rid of the legs and wings and say it's now in the water now you have an adult or ancient black sea serpent oh yeah i like the i like the way that that could you know that's good thought fodder that's narratively pleasing i like how that you know that could be done just so easily you know and that's why i like to go back and explore a lot of these ancient tales because without that thought, you know, you might think, oh, well, I guess I could try something like that, but probably never would have thought of it. I never would have thought of it in the first place. It's not until it's that, oh, wait, they say a dragon is a snake. Well, fuck it. I'm going to take this dragon. I'm going to throw it in some water. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) And with the Kraken, uh, we have a Kraken in our tail, although we haven't touched too much with it. It's still not a fight I would want to have. <laughs> but you can, again, change its shape. It doesn't necessarily have to look like a giant octopus. You can make it a whale version with the tentacles on the other side. And your party sees, oh, it's a whale. Well, we're whalers. We're supposed to be out here harpooning whales. We'll throw a harpoon at it. And now they're in a fight with the Kraken, where they otherwise would not have ever attempted it. Uh, Leviathan, that just shows, again, take a snake and make it really freaking huge. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, uh, I, I like the kind of like, a, like the, the, almost like the HP Lovecraft like effect or, or rather like kind of filter, I guess when you're kind of applying like even the Leviathan too, but uh, uh, the Kraken as well, just kind of having like a, you know, some sort of like otherworldly being that is maybe just so large that you, you can't actually get a good view of it. You know, like you're only seeing portions of it at any one time. So for all, you know, it's just some massive tentacles coming out of the water or the, you know, uh, this uh, massive, you know, scaly body kind of uh, uh, diving deep into the ocean or whatever, you know, like you, you wouldn't get a good visual proper on it. So, I don't know. A good good thought fodder. <laughs> well, that's all I have from my end. Uh, do you have anything else? 
Um, no, not really. Um, if you want to tune in to me and Chris doing more nerdy shit, go check out my YouTube channel. Uh, it's all one word, Tater Brain Pod, and give it a, give it a listen, give it a like. It's pretty great over there. <laughs> and if you have any questions, comments, or any topics you'd like to hear sooner rather than later, you can email us at monstersandmythos, all spelled out, at gmail.com. We are also on socials as much as I can. Uh, threads and Instagram as at monsters.mythos on X as at monsters underscore mythos and we have a Facebook page of monsters ampersand mythos uh, if you spell out and it'll take you to a defunct clothing site uh, come say hi uh, you can reach us on any of those uh, our Patreon should be up and going right now uh, again if you've enjoyed it you know a dollar uh, max tier is probably going to be just five right now and as soon as we can have five people at that level start doing some bonus episodes of discussing maybe a specific creature or finding a folkloric creature that hasn't gotten the official stat blocks but there's some homebrew versions or one we would like to create because we want to see it in the world uh you know, uh, if you want to do the free way of supporting, so that's one I usually do, uh, rate and review us on anywhere you listen to podcasting apps. Uh, the higher the rating and the more interaction that way, the more we can reach out and talk to other people. I mean, I'm still having a blast doing this. We've reached been downloaded 339 times from literally around the world places i know i'll never physically go my voice has been (laughs) and you know i don't know about sean and uh, i'm pretty sure i do know his answer but you know it's been a wonderful experience uh yeah super fun you know it's a good uh, uh i don't know it's fun to uh, take my hobby to another level, you know, it's a, 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 a kind of a, a niche audience, but yeah, I think it's great that, you know, people are tuning in and listening around the globe. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. <laughs>